Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody, JJ Cooper, Jeff Ponce here on another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. We're still clearing out uh, the cobwebs from a very busy Friday, a day on Friday where we saw, I believe, 111 players added to 40-man rosters, and everyone who wasn't, who's Rule 5 eligible, became eligible for the Rule 5 draft. We're going to talk about the Rule 5 draft today, but it's more of kind of, we're going a little bigger picture on this, a little bigger picture looking at what happened at roster protection deadline and kind of some of the things that, what does that tell us about the game as a whole? Some bigger picture stuff about that. We're going to dive into a lot of different aspects. Some of whom, some of which we may not even know ourselves. We know where we want to start on this, but I'm guessing over the next 30, 45 minutes or an hour, we'll end up going down some tangents that we didn't even realize we're going to go down to. But, but Jeff, uh, the, the, the thing that stands out, the thing to start with to me, I don't know about you, but for me, we talked about last week, hey, we don't know how Cleveland is going to be able to protect everybody. And give the Guardians credit. Here we are. I'm not saying they protected everybody, but if you'd have told me on Thursday of last week that they would end up not just protecting 10 guys, pretty much the target list that we laid out on the podcast last week that we laid out at baseballamerica.com. But then just to add a little, a little whipped cream to the, uh, to the Sunday, a little cherry on top. They then also acquired Tobias Myers from the Rays, who is a guy who fits as like a, Oh, by the way, they needed to protect that. They even went out and found another guy. How crazy was that for you? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's funny because uh, the Rays and Cleveland, um, I think two of the smarter organizations in terms of, you know, acquiring talent and identifying talent uh, have been a nice little trade partner here over the last year plus and uh, have sort of traded some of their, their 40 man problems back and forth. Here's an opportunity where we're worried about, you know, a handful of players really uh, within the Cleveland organization um, being protected they end up being able to protect, I think, as we said, all the target guys. There's a handful of guys maybe you could have debated toward the back end, but I think the big names, Quan, some of these other guys that have popped up within their, their system uh, over the 2021 season. And then, as you said, they go out and they acquire another arm uh, in Tobias Myers, who I think could potentially provide major league innings 
as soon as 2022, um, maybe in a back-end role, maybe as a multi-inning reliever, but certainly a major league quality arm with good characteristics and some characteristics, I think particularly with his breaking ball and his cutter, that Cleveland's done a really good job with that profile in terms of getting them to the majors and then sort of making them better than we even expected them to be. So they went out, they protected their guys, and they acquired, um, I would say, you know, an arm that really fits into their philosophy uh, over the last couple of years. And and they did it when we thought they were going to have a lack of spots, but they were able to shuffle things around and they could lose a player or two in the Rule 5 draft, but I don't think it's anyone of any great consequence. Not like what we thought. Well, we were like, how are they going to be able to protect all of these players? Um, and how did they do it? Well, they cleared off. Uh, I will start again on this by saying, how often do you see a team literally turn over one-fourth, uh, more than one-fourth of their 40-man in a day? And that's what they did. But they declined an option on Roberto Perez. They outrighted Cam Hill. They out- outrighted Nick Wicker. And then they got to the point where they designated for assignment Justin Garza, Daniel Johnson, J.C. Mejia, Scott Moss, Kyle Nelson, Harold Ramirez, and Alex Young. Now, several of those players, we talk about the the back of a 40-man roster is, it, it's not a, a really permanent place to live. It's, it's, a, it's a place where you know that you can be on or off very quickly. But that said, one of the things we note with, I think we have to note with this is, they actually then re- were able to trade several of those players who were designated for assignment. Harold R- R- uh, Ramirez, JC Mejia. You had guys who other teams were like, oh, no, no, we, we, we want to claim. We want that guy. Not all these guys just passed through waivers and then sure. they either elected free agency or were outrighted to, uh, to the AAA club. They actually, they did get rid of players who other teams were like, that's better than someone that we have on our 40. But that said... <laughs> it does also kind of illustrate the transitory nature of the back of a 40 man roster, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that's one thing that, you know, we've noted a few times here and it certainly is something to keep in mind with, you know, who gets taken and and who does not in the rule five draft is, you know, is this somebody that's going to be able to fit into a permanent spot or are we better off with, you know, handful of, you know, roll 30 relievers that we have within our organization or that we can acquire off of the scrap heap when other teams bounce them off of their 40 man. Um, so I think that's one of the things that with the rule five draft, we have to keep in mind. And it's the same thing with who does get protected and who doesn't um, within the 40 man. And there's certain types of players that are more in abundance um, than others. So the other thing with that, that in doing, kind of calls on the rule five already you know kind of diving in on that but also just talking to people off-season discussions and all that with people in the game and one thing i think it is useful to know before we kind of go into some of the other things that we saw as far as trends or 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 players of note that were protected that weren't protected things like that one other thing i think that is worth noting is the 40-man roster spot itself is quite valuable when you say, oh, this guy looks like a useful rule five pick, one of the things I've had teams tell me is, hey, you do need to realize something. It's not just the player. The minute you take a player in the rule five draft, that is a 40-man roster spot that is effectively closed out, locked down 
for the rest of the offseason. And as such, it has an opportunity cost tied to it in addition to the $100,000 purchase price and the you know and all that. There sure. is an opportunity cost because if you're a team who oh, we didn't expect this player to be still on the market come February or oh, this guy went down for us in an off-season workout, he's going to miss the first two months of the season. We need to go out and acquire a replacement, things like that. As you have those situations arise, if you don't have the 40-man roster spot, it locks out or it forces you to then turn and say, well, we don't want to designate this player for assignment. We may lose this player, but we're going to designate this other player for assignment because mm -hmm. we have this rule five pick. So that's part of the equation with all of this. In addition to just, is this player worth a hundred thousand dollar rule five acquisition price? And do you think this player can stick on the roster? I, <laughs> That's something that adds a little bit of an extra layer to this. And it added to an extra layer as far as deciding at the production deadline, do you want to protect these players or not? That's, I think, also an aspect of that, which is if the risk of losing that player is really small, then it makes better sense not to add them to the 40-man because opportunity cost 40-man roster. And you are also starting the option clock. If a player is not ready, the minute you put them on the 40, you know that come April, you're going to be optioning that player to the minors. Okay, so there's option number one. So now the clock starts, tick, tick, tick. Now you are three, if not at most four years away from having to make your final decision about whether, and when we talk about relievers, the value of having options is a key yeah. part of reliever roster construction. Yeah, I think just general roster construction in general throughout the season and particularly the early point of the year, um, you know, it's different when you add a, a Julio Rodriguez, where you probably are pretty sure you're never going to have to option, option that guy. You're not going to use those. So when you use that in an off, you know, going into a season, it's no big deal. Where a lot not of these guys that are the back end of the 40 man roster, like we're talking about, guys that get taken in the in the Rule Five draft, they are players where potentially, you know, that option's going to matter. Now, obviously, the Rule Five year, it doesn't matter at all. But um, you know, in terms of once again, who gets protected and who doesn't. Um, it's like, is this the type of player where that option is going to be really valuable? And I think that is certainly another element of the equation. It doesn't get discussed much, but weighs heavily on, you know, the decisions that these teams are making. And when I, here's my best example I can give of the transitory nature of the back end of a 40 man roster. The Baltimore Orioles last year had 42 different players pitch for them. Now, <laughs> a couple a couple of those pat Valaika, there are guys a couple of guys on that who are stevie wilkerson they had guys pitch for them because oh yeah. we're i imagine this the or the orioles had games where they were down by a lot of runs and it's like ah we can just put whoever out there we're just trying to get the game mm -hmm. over but if you say actual pitchers i would on a quick glance say 36 37 38 actual pitchers that Baltimore used last year. It's a 40 man roster. Like it's if, if you want to talk about how a bad team can churn a roster, that's the example of it because the, uh, the best way I can explain it is, is that how that works is, is anytime anyone hits the waiver wire and you ask the question, 
is this arm better than the worst guy we have on our staff? I think the Baltimore answer almost always was yes. Okay, yeah. well, let's let's bring in Thomas Eshelman, Connor Green, Brandon Waddell, uh, Brooks Krisky. I mean, again, Joey Cream, like Max Garola, Rule 5 pick. I mean, Wade LeBlanc. They, Connor Wade, Sean right. Anderson. You know, like that's how this works. But, but so that leads to the big thing I wanted us to talk about, the trend we saw from 40-man roster protection day. And we will get to that after a quick break. And we're back. So Jeff, I, as the two of us who, I think we wrote 105 of the 111 guys who were at the 40-man, little mini scouting reports. Fun Friday. Um, that's what, I mean, this is, we're living the dream. We really are. This is fun to do. But the thing that stood out to me, and I think it stood out to you as well, is did you see any trends as you were writing up, guys? Did you see anything that that kind of, oh, I feel like I'm writing up players of this certain ilk a lot. Any trends that came out when you were writing those 111 sure. guys? Sure. And we certainly talked about this off air, but, um, you know, outside of the top names, which I think they're the prospects people, you know, tend to be familiar with, they're a little bit easier to write about. There's more to write about them. Um, there were a lot, a lot of arms that were added to the rule, uh, excuse me, to the 40 man rosters and a lot of hitters that sort of fell into these two buckets. Um, the first being one that we talked about a lot, which are guys with, you know, we'll say a, a 50, 55 plus fastball, maybe a 60 that sit 94 to 97 miles per hour, touch an eight or a nine, um, you know, with one good secondary that's average or better. And, you know, there's sort of different versions of that. Maybe the fastball is a little bit better. The breaking ball is a little bit worse, but the sum of the parts is always sort of the same. These two pitch relievers with big stuff. Um, and even when we're talking about players that are eligible now for the rule five draft, there's a lot of those guys. Um, so that was one trend that I think we, we both picked up on and you had sort of mentioned to me last night, we talked a little bit about off air. And uh, I think that's the big one that sticks out because there were so many of those guys that we wrote about. I think, and I've run this number by a couple of people inside the industry as well. The profile you just talked about, 95 plus either the fastball with good movement profiles gets swings and misses and an iffy second pitch or an, a straight fastball, but a good second pitch. And it controls generally a little iffy on all of these guys. There mm -hmm. are guys who are exceptions, but all. But if you said, that's a guy who, if, if I was at a game, a minor league game in 2008, 2009, I, I, I would see some of those guys. But when I did, I would go like, wow, wow. I, I need to write that guy that, I didn't know about this guy before today. I need to write that guy down. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it's you, you are just in the AFL, Jeff. And again, the pitching in the AFL, I, I am not anti-AFL. But one <laughs> thing I always say, Josh Norris is our like, Josh Norris loves the Arizona Fall League like I love the Rule 5 draft. And the argument I've always made is, is that, you know, I get it. I love it. It's great. 
but it's also to me it's a dangerous place to watch hitters because the pitching and especially this year because most everyone ran out of innings i feel like mm. the pitching quality in the afl is often pretty shaky but that said how many of what we just talked about there reliever profile throws pretty hard may have a second pitch did you see one or two of those out there you know when you were out the in the fall league yeah i would say probably and i was out there for six days so i saw six games and then the fall stars game um so i saw every team twice and i would say the average is maybe three of those guys a game could be two could be four um but every game i think i saw a couple of guys hit 97 with you know a breaking ball that flashed at times and there were i mean a ton and these are a lot of guys that are eligible for the rule five draft i would say more often than not the pitchers that i saw out there they weren't real starters they were a handful of those but not many most of them are guys that that went unprotected um you know majority of them probably sat 93 to 95 touched 97 somewhere around there you know with a with a go-to secondary so the overarching point i have on this is when i've said are there a hundred of those now in the minors and throw in a little bit of indie ball japan whatever else you want to add to it the answer i get back is yeah there probably are more than a hundred of those pitchers and that's not counting the starters who are right now throwing three or four pitches one of one or two of which are really iffy who are sitting 92 to 95 but if you put them in the pen and said air it out they would then immediately become exactly what we just talked about there too the tough part about this is they used to be that used to be still somewhat special that used to be a guy who was going to be a big leaguer for the entirety of the season and that's not the case i don't think anymore but the tough part of this is is I look at these and I say, so how do you differentiate if, if all of a sudden, seemingly there are bushels of hard throwing relievers who don't have, now let's be clear. We just hit on the, the kind of the pluses and minuses, the sure. guy who has the exceptional fastball, like the fastball is 95 plus with excellent movement and he has one other pitch that's a true plus pitch, consistent, and he throws strikes. We're not talking about that player at 40-man roster protection deadline because he's already been protected. He didn't get to that point. Why? The minute you check off those boxes, they add you to the 40 at that moment, and they put you in the big league bullpen. But what we're talking about is, is more of kind of, I would describe that now as the profile of the triple-A arm who is going to pitch for you in the majors during the season. But at the same time, he's more of the up-and-down guy now because he lacks he lacks having two-plus pitches. He lacks having one-plus pitch, one average pitch, and plus command. You know, he lacks having that those last attributes that if he develops them, are going to turn them in, him into a regular part of your bullpen. Mm -hmm. But right now, 
what we just described is something that I would say most, uh, if you are a, I wouldn't say a quality big league team. I would say if you are a quality organization, you have multiple of those in AAA. Because at this point, if you don't, you have, I have two answers for why that would be. One, your front, your organization is cheap because there are minor league free agents who fit what we just talked about. Or two, for some reason, you are not valuing the depth that comes with having some of those guys on AAA rosters because of the value of, hey, I can bring that guy up for two weeks and he's not going to ruin our season in the four times he pitches. I just look at that and I say like, there's a lot for me to wrap my head around with that of what does it mean when we now live in a world where I, I the thing I feel confident that I don't know, and maybe you have a better sense of this than I do, is if you said to me, I feel confident if you said, pick out 10 of those guys, that one or two of them are going to find a pitch that they don't have right now, or they're going to make an adjustment to their release point or their grip, or maybe they figure out a better place to hide a little bit of sticky stuff on their body that's not <laughs> on your hat, or your glove, or your belt because putting it there right now is, is effectively a cry for help. That's like, please, sir, I don't want to use this, but I feel the need to. So I'm going to put up my hat because that's the only place that you inspect every inning, Mr. Umpire, sir. But um, with all those things, some of those guys are going to turn into much bigger guys. I just have real trouble figuring out which ones are going to be the players who make that jump because I feel like a lot of times, that's really going into crystal ball from the standpoint of sometimes it's because they develop a pitch that they literally do not throw right now. Well, I think that's also where, you know, sort of astute scouting on the organizational side or, you know, analysts that are able to identify certain physical markers or characteristics that they know their player development team can fix or has done before, or when a guy does this, this is an easy fix and we can get, this much more out of it, you know, riding his fastball or, you know, sweep on his, on his slide or whatever it might be. I think that's where sort of the magic happens is when you have a front office that can identify guys like that, whether it's in the rule five draft or on free agency or in trades, backfields, whatever it, it, it's, those are the kind of guys where they can take the next step. And I don't know, you know, Boston in particular, like Whitlock's arm and said, Hey, we can make this guy throw a change up. He threw a few here and there or whatever um and then all of a sudden they work on it it works and it you know unlocks and those guys stay on the roster it's really hard with human beings to be able to predict the future because we are constantly evolving and sort of de-evolving especially physically when we're playing sports and that's kind of the one of the tricky parts of this is and that's where i do think there's a scouting and evaluation component which is okay does he you know how does he uh, move? Is, is this sustainable? I, all those things do play a part in it. But the other part of this is, is, again, when we talk about leaving these players available in the Rule 5 draft who fit these qualities, I do come back to what we started with, which is the value of a 40-man roster spot, the value of an option. The trickiest part to me, there are Rule 5 available relievers who every bit fit the qualities as 
good as some of the back guys on a 40 man roster. But the difference is, is effectively you are a reliever without options in your rule five year. And that all of a sudden makes you less valuable to a team than maybe someone who's even slightly less talented. You, this is something like bigger picture. I've written about this before, but I'll keep beating the point, which is options were set up theoretically to help players. The idea was, is that instead of yo-yoing a player back and forth off the triple A, the majors and back and forth, it would force a team to keep him because he's out of options. So now he's a big leaguer. I'm, I'm looking at you, Lewis Head, who I think made 12 trips between Tampa and Durham, triple A, the majors back and forth. Now he'll be doing so. He'll have a let, he'll have it. If he does the same thing in 2022, now that he's a Marlin, it'll be a shorter trip. So that's good news. This is that's it's not drivable, but it's like it's a faster flight. Yes. Uh, he'll be staying in the state, but um, but the thing that's happened now is it actually works against veterans because if you've got two pitchers and one of them has an option and one of them doesn't, and the boat you're they're competing for one bullpen spot. Pitcher A is going to have to not just be a little bit better than the one who has the option, pitcher B. The guy who doesn't have the option, it's going to have to be a lot better. Do you have to be? I mean, it's not a, it's, yeah. that's a key part of what these teams are using in these decisions. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's where versatility comes into play. Um, you know, and certainly they had that with Whitlock where he could be shut down for one inning or they could use him for multiple innings. And I think, you know, sometimes with, we'll say, converted post rule five draft starting pitching prospects that end up in like that long roll. Um, it's easier to slot a guy in there when you can get not only valuable innings, obviously Whitlock is, you know, to an extreme in terms of what the return there was, but they still got to be able to, to fit into a variety of roles. And I think it's the same thing positionally too. It's why you see a lot of guys that do play multiple positions and can fill multiple roles um, on a 26 man roster. Well, that's the other thing that you saw when we, that, you know, again, we did prep for this. We, 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 we did kind of say, Hey, what do you want to talk about? And one of the things that you saw, the other part of this is that when you say, well, what's another trend is positional versatility. What, what did you see with that? Yeah. It seemed as if the, the players that were on, you know, the analysts and scouts and teams radars that I spoke with, um, it, it tended to be guys that could play multiple positions and in particular positions in the infield and then positions in the outfield. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you can sort of take away from this is, and we said this off air as well, but if you're a 45 at five different positions, it's probably more valuable than being a 55 at one. Um, especially if the offense is better than, you know, your typical, defense first, you know, 55, 60 grade defender at shortstop or center field. Um, it's a lot harder to carry that guy, you know, uh, where you look at someone like we wrote about, for example, Samad Taylor, where Samad Taylor played second base, he played third base, he was in the outfield for, you know, I think left field and some center field, probably could play right in a pinch if he needed to because of his speed. And he played some games at shortstop. Um, and I think it's the same with like a Michael Stefanik from uh, the Angels organization who's available. Had a really good season at, at AAA. Um, you know, the offense is there. There's a high baseline, a, a 
approach and then contact. And then on top of it, you know, in a pinch, and this is a direct quote, you know, he's a guy that, you know, could maybe fill in at shortstop in a pinch for a couple of weeks while guys are on the IL or you got to acquire somebody else even, but he's a versatile player that can play all over the infield. And typically there's a lot of those guys that can at least fill in in left field or, you know, a corner outfield spot if the arm's good enough. I, one of my guys that we put on the rule five that I really think has a good chance to be taken is Miles Bastroboni for the exact same reason. He's played six spots last year, like, and not as in like, oh, they put him at shortstop for a game. He was a primary shortstop early in the season for double A Montgomery, not because he's a great shortstop, but because he was the best one they had. He was plausible at the position and plausibility. That's the other thing that is, I think, changed here. We saw a guy like Jonathan Aranda being protected. And there are questions about Jonathan Aranda's defensive ability at anywhere other than first base, but it's now able, you can be a plausible second baseman without much range. And I don't think that used to be the case when you have now positioning as it is, when you have, let's just add up how many strikeouts there are in a game and how many walks. So if you talk about, well, we used to have that there were going to be on a given game that this team would face 22 balls put in play in a case, of course of a game. And now they're facing 17. Well, and by the way, if you're playing second base, we're going to be able to put you pretty much where the balls hit. So if you only have two steps of range to either side, instead of three or instead of four, it's not going to matter as much because the ball is either going to be hit six steps away from you where it won't matter or within two and you have good hands and an accurate arm. That's where I think that now, like you said, this plausible shortstop, this plausible second baseman versatility becomes something that is different from where it was when I was a youngster in the eighties. And it was like, no, 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 your backup shortstop is a six. Like he doesn't hit but he's a six at short and he's a six at second because our positioning is going to be that we state, we put you in the AstroTurf, which is by the way, rocket fast. And we're going to stand you here. And by the way, if a pull hitting right-handed hitter gets to the plate, take one step this way. If a lefty who pulls the ball down the line all the time steps up, take one step the other way. Okay. That's your positioning for the game. Well, yes, range was a lot more important then where it's now like, oh, no, no, this left-handed hitter never hits the ball on the ground to the, you know, to this side of second base. So we're going to take you and we're actually going to move you to the other side of second base. We're going to put the second baseman playing in short right field. And all of a sudden, instead of it being, well, shortstop, your job on this play is to go five steps to your left field the ball and in a fluid motion, make an accurate throw to first. Now it's going to be, you were standing there when he hit the ball there, you're going to set your feet and you're going to throw that allows versatility to be a little different than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. um, You know, absolutely. And I I think, you know, it's, it's sort of the same thing uh, when it comes to, to corner outfielders too, where a lot of his positioning, you know, teams want a guy that can go get it, particularly in, in center field, but we've seen more and more players that I think would never have been outfielders, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, 
now getting stuck out in left field. And if the arm's good enough, you even see some of them out right. And a lot of that is due to positioning and, you know, the type of batted balls that you're seeing. Um, you know, we're seeing more fly balls, more, more balls into the outfield, but that also means there's more like lazy fly balls and a lot of pop-ups and stuff like that, where you don't necessarily need the range that you needed years ago. Um, when guys were trying to shoot the gaps, you just don't see as much of that in the game. So I think it's devalued defense, you know, defensive um, skills to a tremendous amount. And, you know, in some positions, I think it's almost like a non-starter, or at least in the public conversation, almost, almost to an extreme. I think with, with first base, it gets, um, it gets, it gets talked about a little bit too much in terms of, you know, not having first base defensive value. I still think you have to be able to play that position. And so the other thing that we see year in, year out is there are players who there are positions where you just get reminded over and over that it's hard to stick at this position. I'm mm -hmm. sure there were some people out there who saw Blake hunt on the rule five availables list or unprotected list. And we're like, wait, what? You know, this was a reasonably prominent prospect, mm -hmm. part of a you know, significant deal a year ago when the Rays acquired him. And I'm not saying we put him in the preview. I'm not saying that Blake Hunt can't be picked. It's going to be really hard for a Blake Hunt to stick, though. At that catcher is a tough profile. Is it is catcher? Catcher is the one that stands out to me. Were there profiles that's, that stood out to you? whether it be catcher or somewhere else where it's like, Hey, a lot of these guys were left available. Yeah. I think, I think catcher is probably the low hanging fruit there. Um, you could say the same about shortstop or, or center field um, mostly because if there's any sense <laughs> that there's going to be offensive value, those guys get protected. They get added to the, to, to the 40 man roster um, and pretty quickly, you know, um, even if the guy is a 40 bad, if he's a 60, you know, defender and center or shortstop, um, you'll see that guy added to the 40 man roster. So I think the easy one to take away is catchers because, you know, as we used as an example with the Rays, and you had, you had mentioned, they protected four, four, catch, they have 40, four catchers in their 40 man roster now. So they're not going to add a fifth guy. He didn't have the versatility, um, that Proctor had. And I think, you know, when, when the conversation was, you know, between Proctor or, or Hunt, I'm sure it came down to, well, this guy can play in the infield in multiple spots. Um, and this guy can't, you know, we're going to protect Ford Proctor. So ultimately I think catchers are probably the easy ones to keep off of your 40 man roster and have some confidence that you're probably going to keep those guys. Cause it's such a tough position, um, you know, to really just step in day one and even be a backup catcher at the major league level, um, even if the team doesn't have many expectations, because you're going to have to catch a few games a week and you have a lot of responsibility back there. You can't hide a guy like, as we talked about, at second base when they're touching the ball pretty much in every play. And at the end of the day, it has to be someone, there's two possibilities. This is why I think Ford Proctor gets protected instead of Blake Hunt. Ford Proctor can be protected because, or needs to be protected because he fits on a 26 man roster because of going back to what you talked about, Jeff positional versatility. He's a plausible, he he's a recent conversion to catcher. He's not all the way there at catcher, but he also can play shortstop and second base for you. So if I'm trying to sell, if I'm a, an MLB front office and I'm trying to sell my manager on why to carry 
Ford Proctor. It is, he's going to be your third catcher and he can back up in the middle infield and he can hit a little bit. You throw those three aspects together and all of a sudden I can DH my starting catcher every now and then to give him a day, you know, to rest and recover. If he's a good bat, I can pinch run for a catcher, even if I've, you know, I'm already on my backup because I have a plausible guy who can actually catch and handle ninth inning relievers, 10th inning relievers, things like that. That's a guy who can stick. Okay, now let's do it with Blake Hunt. Is he that guy, 26th man on the roster? No, not really. He's, the bat's not there yet. You know, he didn't really hit for average in high A and double A this past year. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, defensively, what does he do? And you're like, well, he's pretty good, you know. But then you, what you just said, okay, is he good enough that I can want him to be my backup catcher on the team that's carrying two catchers? I struggle to come up with the team that has done that. We've seen this a couple of times where teams have tried in the last decade. The Reds did it with Stuart Turner. And I, at the end of the day, it was one of those things where uh, the best way I can say it is, why did they bother? Um, yeah. <laughs> they, they, uh, they did make him their primary backup, which he was about as close to being a big league ready backup available in the rule five, as you can see. They didn't make him the primary backup. They did carry him on the roster and then they DFA'd him not long afterwards. And that was kind of the extent of the end of the story. It's like, okay, was that worth the effort? And the other mm -hmm. one was Oscar Hernandez when on, when the diamondbacks about, you know, coming up on eight, nine years ago had what was probably the worst catching situation that we will probably see in our lifetimes. And I say <laughs> that from the standpoint of like, it was kind of, it was a simpler time because they really did their, their off-season plan that year was they had Peter O'Brien, who is not a plausible catcher. They had Oscar Hernandez and they had Tuffy Ghostwitch. And that was it. So I, I, I talk about handing your manager on opening day of spring training saying, <laughs> you talk about the importance of catching and you say, yeah, I don't know if any of these, okay, I've got this one guy who's a, who is a backup catcher. Tuffy Ghostwitch was a legitimate MLB backup catcher. Sure. But not a guy that you said, hey, we want to give this guy 120 games behind the plate. No. And then you had two other guys, one of whom was, when we talk about positional versatility, if you wanted Peter O'Brien to be the guy who DH'd for you, which was a National League team, so that didn't work at the time very well. But DH play a little first base. And oh, yeah, by the way, can you put him behind the plate if the game's in the 18th inning? Well, sure. He owns the glove, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then you had Hernandez who had no experience above low class a, who was not ready to be an everyday catcher by any stretch either. And that's what they did the first month and a half of the season before. I think they finally went out there and acquired like an actual, like big league catcher. But those are the only two examples I could come up with in recent years of someone trying to Luis Torrens was carried but he was carried as in like a, yes, he's on the roster, but we're just not really going to use him. which, and, and by the way, 
him and Alan Cordoba, hopefully one of them will be on the IL for us most of the time because you really don't want to, with a 25-man roster, yeah. which was the time, carry 23 players you, you can actually use. I think that, late yeah. that season, I think late that season, Cordoba like, had like a minor a minor injury, like a hangnail, and they turned it into like a 60-day IL stint or something. Oh, <laughs> I, I, they could keep him on the roster. He's still in the organization. Um, and obviously Torrens is now uh, a starting catcher. So go from there. But um, yeah, you know, I think, I think it's sort of interesting when we look at the positional guys, I tended to hear more. Um, and we don't see as many, many positional guys typically go in the rule five as we do see arms. I think it's a little bit easier to try to, you know, shoehorn horn in a reliever or like a back end starter that you think can potentially work. Um, but we will see a couple go pretty much every year. And without fail, I think, you know, there's some offensive upside there, but there's also the multi-position thing. The other one that I, I, I think is interesting, and he's one, one name that we put into the list that I don't know if he goes or not, um, but might have gotten protected in another organization that isn't quite so deep. Uh, and that's Ryan Noda, who uh, the Dodgers had acquired, I think in February, uh, as a player to be named later in, um, uh, that was the, the, I forget which deal that was, was it Sperling? I'd have to go look. I would yeah. have to go look to make sure that I got it right. I think it was Ross Sperling. But um, anyway, he was acquired in February. He had a pretty good year. Um, you know, he's elite in terms of getting on base. But the really interesting thing about him, beyond there was a swing change, there was, you know, more power that was unlocked. He does have, you know, sort of true plus game power, uh, particularly to his pull side. The thing that's really interesting about him is he split almost even time at AA Tulsa between first base and then the outfield. Um, so he seems like he is a player that legitimately could fit, you know, on a 40, excuse me, on a 26 man roster um, and potentially play some first base. He's left, left, which is obviously, you know, one of the few things a little bit easier to keep a guy like that as a potential backup first baseman when he is traditionally a first baseman and has enough of an arm to play in the outfield. Oh, and by the way, can take a walk probably as good as anybody in the minors and maybe hit you, you know, 20 or 30 homers if he runs into it. So Noda was a guy I think that's really interesting. He came up, I think he's the, e his, the term that was used with me was he's the easiest of sort of the, the mashers that are available to keep because of his positional versatility. I wonder if he's a guy that could end up, um, you know, on a 26-man roster and potentially stick because he can hit a little bit. I'm not as much on Noda. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't think he's going to hit enough. I, I don't think I, mm. I, I don't. And I don't think he has enough. Like, I think that the, the guys that stick normally to me, one of my things I start with is do you play somewhere up the middle? Um, and that's where it, it doesn't always work that way, mm. but, but it does a lot of times. Now, again, will be interesting. One of the things that the dynamics that has changed here is 26 man roster is different than 25. And especially, I'm not saying it's going to be part of the CBA, but there has definitely been discussions that MLB, and I mean by that, the owners have seen shown some interest in having some sort of pitching limitation as well. If we don't know the structure of the new CBA, but if this new CBA, I feel confident 26 man rosters will be part of it because once you get a concession like that, if you're the players, you don't give it up easily because it's another spot, but 
if you had that plus, let's say that teams are limited to 13 pitchers or whatever it is, well, that would change the dynamics further as far as what could stick because the minute that the, we've seen things that have kind of largely, they, they have been de-emphasized in recent years because of roster construction. We, when we talk about utility infielders, it used to be, I, I think of like, as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I think of like a, a Keith Lockhart type, like where it's like, he's a platoon second baseman who's also a useful bench bat on the games that he doesn't start, you know, because they were having Mark Lemke and Keith Lockhart. That doesn't exist very much right now. There's not a whole lot of roster spots for, does he play shortstop? No. Does he play the alpha? Not really. So you're saying he's my second, second base. Yeah, but the two of them work together. You don't see a whole lot of, you don't see a whole lot of platoon outfielders nowadays for that matter. Like where it's like, okay, this guy, we talk about fourth and fifth outfielders. Sometimes fourth and fifth outfielders aren't really a thing because it's like, no, we have a fourth outfielder. Depending on our roster construction, sometimes we have a fourth. Sometimes we have a fourth and a fifth. Sometimes we have three guys on the team who can play first base. Sometimes we have one and a half. It, roster construction has boiled down on the position player side because of the desire to have so many pitchers on the roster. But the 26 man does help that. And if there are further changes with that, there will be further you know, explanations, further adjustments that may need to be made on this. But what else struck you from the 40-man roster protections? Anything else that we haven't uh, covered? Um, not, I think the biggest thing were, was some of the teams that I anticipated to be a little bit more active in terms of trying to acquire some of these guys that fell through the cracks, particularly Oakland, um, didn't make any moves, that it, was, that it was Cleveland that ended up doing that. So... Um, I, I anticipated maybe a few more trades, um, you know, maybe, maybe I was being optimistic, but I thought there'd be a few more moving parts, particularly with some teams that were, you know, up against it and had some talented players that I thought fit on a few teams, 40 man rosters in particular, Oakland. And I, the one, by the way, the, the move that Oakland did make that I liked that made all kind of sense in the world was the Brent Honeywell deal, which is Brent Honeywell did not fit on the Rays in any way at this point. When we talk about, Brent, and again, going back to how options hurt veterans, not help them. And so, well, maybe it helps Brent Honeywell because maybe because he was out of options, the Rays sent him to a team that is more likely to keep him the majors long-term next year. But Brent Honeywell was not going to fit for the Rays as a player who was out of options. He wasn't going to fit in their bullpen as an out of options guy. And he wasn't going to fit as one of their five starters, four starters, six starters, depending on how you would look their bulk guys, where you say, no, he has to do that all season. He can never go to the minors. I look at him going to Oakland and Oakland is potentially if they, tear this down like we expect they will the perfect opportunity for him to go out there and say okay here's the ball let's see what you can do and you may decide if you're Oakland three months through the season it's not worth it okay it's not working but you also could decide three months through the season hey there's something really here 
And I do think that Honeywell, as a guy who's crafty and with stuff, but like who loves to throw, Brett Honeywell doesn't want to throw two pitches. Brett Honeywell wants to throw five pitches in the first inning. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy like that does need a little bit more room to breathe. I like the fact that he may get a chance to start somewhere and kind of work on his varied assortment rather than pigeonholing him as a guy who's been injured. So he's going to end up now in the pen. I'm going to be interested to see kind of works out uh, with them. Before we wrap this up, I'll just ask you then, you mentioned Noda. Who's your guy right now? Who's your rule five guy? It's okay if it's Noda, but who's your guy who you're like, okay, I think this guy is the one that I'm, that I'm looking for. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's Noda. I think it's probably going to end up being an arm. Um, you know, one that, one that I threw out there was on Sean Semple, um, who's a, a righty I actually saw this year with Somerset, uh, had a, f- a few appearances, maybe two or three, um, you know, in, in AAA with, with Scranton Wilkesbury, but um, for the most part, spent the majority of the season at AA. Um, good shape in the fastball. It's kind of what we talked about. It's 92 to 95, uh, but he commands it fairly well. He was a starter most of the year. Um, he's got two secondaries that I think are, you know, average or better. Slider's a little bit better than a mid 80 changeup. Um, but both pitches that he can land for strikes, get swings and misses, and, and sort of limits contact on. Um, and it's a tradition like any other. I, we mentioned this actually in the write up today. Uh, that the Yankees tend to lose a guy. I think they've lost a, a guy in the Rule 5 draft, particularly an arm, every single year dating back to 2014 or 2013. So um, kind of talks about the depth of their 40-man roster and, and just organization in general. But also, um, it seems like it's a certainty that there's going to be a talented Yankees arm that gets picked, higher minors production, um, mostly as a starter, but I think he has at least a – you know, a, two, a, a, a one, two punch that he can sort of go to that might play up a little bit out of the pen um, and good shape on the pitches that I think he might be attractive to certain teams. So simple is a name that, um, you know, I had heard mentioned and, and I think might be kind of interesting. So right now he's the guy that I think is most likely to, to be taken in the rule five draft. I, I'm going to go. I'm not saying he's the most likely to be taken, but I'm still, I remain interested. I've, I've written them up three years in a row. Oscar Gonzalez. I'm, you know, now, Guardians outfielder, um, 31 homers this year between double A and triple A kind of had the breakout season that was kind of anticipated. We wrote about him for the 2019 rule five preview. It's like, Hey, this guy has the tools to really kind of break out. We wrote about him for the 2020 preview, having not had a season. It's like, Hey, this guy has tools to break out. Well, he broke out this year. He had a really good year. He's not a very good outfielder. Let me just establish that. Like, I went back yesterday and watched his seven errors uh, in right field. And um, if a ball is hit 15 to 20 feet in front of Oscar Gonzalez, and it's going to be on the first or second hop and he's coming in on it. I think that not the best combo for Oscar Gonzalez. He had some trouble with some of those where they just went on by, but he has some athleticism. He has legit power. It's kind of one of those, I don't mind the idea of taking a rule five pick that is high risk, high reward. The ultimate example of high risk, high reward was when the Reds took Josh Hamilton or traded for the pick of Josh Hamilton, uh, having him have not played for multiple years with the very 
very brief exception, getting back, you know, from rehab and all that. And then boom, snap your fingers. And he's one of the, he was one of their best players. And then they traded him for Edison Volquez, which probably would not, in hindsight, was not a great idea. Um, <laughs> but, but that's kind of like, I mean, again, Gonzalez, what I would say is, is if you told me that Gonzalez went to spring training for a team and hit a buck 80 with a few homers, and the team went, nah, we're good. We're going to go in a different direction. I see it. But I also could absolutely see Oscar Gonzalez producing a Bobby Dalbeckian line. Uh, I know they're different players. Dalbeck has some more defensive value. But mm-hmm. if you told me that he's the kind of guy who could hit 20, 25 homers given regular at-bats with a low average, oh, I think that's absolutely plausible. That's kind of, there, there are a couple of those guys kicking around He's kind of one of those guys. And again, he's young enough that maybe it's even a little bit better. Maybe I'm selling him a little bit short. But yeah, I think I think at minimum he could be, you know, 2019 Renato Nunez type of a player, right? Where, you know, there's enough offensive value there. He hits a ton of homers and, you know, fits into a, a corner defensive spot, wherever that might be. So, um, yeah, we've seen guys like that before, even, you know, uh, be acquired and get protected and then have seasons like that. So out of the realm of possibility especially with gonzalez's you know power at the point of contact but it'll be interesting we're going to have a world five preview version 1.0 is up right now jeff now that i have a soulmate when it comes to the rule five draft <laughs> on the staff i and now and throwing in the possibility that we're going to have a delayed rule five draft because of a lockout I'm going to, my over under is, is that the final version of the rule five preview will be version 10.2. That's my guess is like, you know, like, because we'll just keep adding to it. And if we have time, we'll just keep adding to it. And Hey, my goal, one of these years is, is we will write up every player taken in the rule five draft in the major league portion, not the minor league portion. Mm -hmm. I'm crazy. I'm not that insane, but everyone taken in the MLB portion. And if we write up 200 guys, I think we'll get there. So, you know, <laughs> if we have, if we have several months to do this and, you know, the handbook's done and everything else. Yeah. We're, we're going to write nothing but rule five draft <laughs> for, for three months. My dream. It's my dream, <laughs> but we will, and we will talk about it again, by the way, if you are a baseball America subscribe and you're listening to us, check it out at baseballamerica.com. We have a new baseball America insider mailbag. You ask us questions anytime you want. It's kind of like a chat in a delayed form. You ask us the questions and then we're going to put together a mailback and we'll answer them. We're going to try to do that weekly. A lot of good questions already in there and I'm looking forward to diving into. So check that out. Ask those questions. We'll be glad to answer your questions, the questions that you want the answers to. So for Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.